0: the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Your prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great
1: God, and the great King above all. Rise
0: you. up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the Clouds wicked, and how long will the wicked chime? You. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His I spirit. hate the work of those who follow it. With away. my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations.
1: I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy time. And with that, good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at sons of Liberty and for our Muslim friends, I'm Bedel, the Imbedelda Allah about. I hold to the book, The Bible. Bible as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show that's right and see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and you'll see two videos there. The one on the left is Bradley's show from yesterday uh, in the afternoon if you want to watch that. You can click on that and play it up until 3 o'clock Eastern uh, today, at which time he'll be live in that little area there. On the right side is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got. And then on the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see the Rumble icon. And if you'll click on that, you can join us in the chat on Rumble. By the way, we are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page. They give us that spot there. We appreciate that very much. Also, DLive.tv. These sons of liberty, and then we're on a variety of my for whatever they're worth Facebook pages. Uh, <laughs> they're they're still leaving those up, so we're st- we're going to take advantage of it. And then if you want to go to if you're on Twitter and uh, you go stream there, the real Tim Brow. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. The real Tim Brow 2. Don't put the N in there. Uh, we're streaming live there and then on our Telegram channel as well. So if you're in our Telegram group, it's streaming live over there as well. While you're at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right up under there where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Those go out once each evening. And then if you want our ministry email, go to SonsOfLibertyRadio.com. And you'll get exclusive content there. Those usually go out on Saturdays, okay? Um, also, if you agree with our message, you would like to help us, there's a donate button at the top of, Sons of liberty media.com. Click on that and make a one-time donation. Or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. That link is also there. Our store is available. Many of these uh, items are requests you guys have made. This, this week we're highlighting the Sons of Liberty uh, dog tags. And again, this was something that you guys requested, and the mock-up pictures don't do these justice. They're really high-quality metal, uh, same size as a regular dog tag, so if you've got silencers you want to put on there, uh, you can do that. These are normally $8. They say Sons of Liberty on one side, First John 3.18 on the other. They're normally $8, and this week only through Saturday at midnight. You can get ten percent off when you use a promo code love. Love ties First John three eighteen words, not deeds. And uh, if you've been wanting to get one of these in silver or in black, you can do so on the weekend, and you can save a little bit of money. Now I'm going to play two little two little clips here, and then I want to uh, bring on a special guest this morning. We're going to we're going to have uh, an interesting. If you guys have loved the talks we've had on the law and the Bible uh, over. The past couple of weeks, I think you're gonna you're gonna like our guest because we're gonna be talking about history, uh, and specifically how the Bible impacted our forefathers. And I'm going back much further than the guys with the Constitution. That's what we're gonna be doing this morning. But uh, just to brighten your day a little bit, okay? Uh, Those of you who are not, uh, (laughs) if you're on the radio, you're not gonna see this. You hear the music. There's these four little cute girl toddlers, and all they're doing is just walking around over and over. You know, wouldn't it be great if the people of the world, those made in God's image, would treat each other with love instead of with hatred and with contempt? I mean, that's what we're told to do. That's how people know that we're Jesus' disciples, is by our love for one another. And here they are just loving on each other, uh, there doesn't seem to be no prejudice going on There doesn't seem to be any kind of uh, You know, thing of uh, I want to distance myself with you There's not the snitches on the Beaches Because you got two in white, two in pink uh, They're just in between each other And somebody yesterday when I posted this They said, this looks like one. If the SOL congregation got together That there'd just be a lot of hugging <laughs> Well, that'd be great But uh, what I want to do I, I just wanted to kind of give you a bright point You know, we give you a lot of things that are bad, problems that we've got to solve and stuff. And sometimes we need some bright moments. We need to remember, why are we doing this fight? One, we're doing it for the glory of God. But two, we're doing it for, for our our, uh, our posterity, right? We're doing it for our children, for our grandchildren, for their children. Uh, even as God said in Psalm 127, he talks about, or Psalm 128, when he says, you'll see your children's children. And so all that we do is done with that in mind. Now, this came out of Alabama. We gave you the story um, It was either in May, I think it was May or June when when the story came out. Uh, Here was an innocent pastor. All he was doing was taking care of his neighbor's flowers. They were out of town. They asked him, hey, can you come over and water him? The neighborhood knows him. Somebody in the neighborhood goes and calls and said, oh, this guy looks suspicious over there. He's using a hose pipe to water the flowers. And the cops come out. Now we have the video, all right? From the confrontation I, I want you to just take a look at this They arrest him because he won't identify himself Except to say he's the pastor Of a particular church and he lives in the house Across the way and he's taking care of his neighbor's flowers He's not breaking in the house There's nothing going on, any of that And this is the video that we got
0: Police were called on a man for being to black to water flowers What you doing here man? Water flowers You live here? No I don't live here Okay, you're not supposed to be you here saying it? They called about it. I don't know who called. I'm supposed to be here. I'm Pastor Jennings. I live across the street. You're Pastor Jennings. Yes, I'm looking out for their house while they're gone. Okay. Uh, while they fly. Okay. Well, that's cool. Do you have like ID? In I don't my- know, man. I'm not gonna give you no ID. Why not? I ain't did nothing wrong. I well, this you look. There's a suspicious person in the yard, and if you're not one, to identify yourself. I don't have to identify myself. I live right out there across the street. Who called y'all? That's what we got <laughs> no right to figure out. You have no right to approach We got to figure out who called. Nothing suspicious. I nothing wrong. Listen. Told him I'm a pastor. I'm not showing y'all anything. I'm a casino continue to run these flowers. We got one that's not listening to. I'm not, I don't want to argue with you. Now okay. this is a tyrant. Okay, this is a tyrant. No crimes
1: being committed. No reason for him to show an ID. Any of that stuff.
0: They are friends. Okay. went out of town today, so right. we may be watering their flowers. It okay. be completely normal. We're here okay. because we're called here. I don't know who called, but somebody did. Same. The way y'all in this situation was totally wrong. Felicrous. I told you I was here watering the flowers. How do I know that's the truth? Because you I to, I were sitting in my hand,
1: I, <laughs> I mean, it, look, this is where it's come to. The true law enforcers, as we talked about yesterday with Brent Winters, right out of Scripture and right out of the Constitution, are you and me. The militia, able-bodied men, we're the ones who do that, not these guys. We've abdicated our responsibility, and you get junk like that right there. You get junk like that right there. How do I know that's true? Did you walk up and see me with a hose pipe in my hand, watering flowers? Yes, you did. Now, either you have a disconnect or you got a mental malfunction or something's going on there, but whatever the case is. Anyway, with that said, now I have made mention of our guest before uh in some books. I'm just gonna quickly bring these up. I'm not trying to sell books or anything. Just to let you know. Some of our favorite books are from this guy, Douglas Bond. This is the betrayal. This is the story. If you wanna under if you want to know a little bit about John Calvin, this is what you want to what you what you want to read. And I trust me, it is a great book. Um John Knox, uh the Thunder. Um these were probably some of my family's favorites, I guess because of dad's terrible Scottish accent that I gave. Uh, this is the Crown and Covenant series, and probably we're going to be talking about a lot about these guys, not the books necessarily, but the guys behind it, the Scottish Covenanters. And then he has a follow-up to that. Sorry, I'm moving away and my thing's falling on my ear. He has a follow-up to that. This is the um, Faith and Freedom series. This is like the second generation of the guys who came from Scotland, okay? And uh, this deals with the period of the War for Independence. There are some others... Just real quickly, Hammer of the Huguenots, if you want to know about the Huguenots, um, the Battle of Seattle, and by the way, I just the, the reason that we're having Doug on this morning is because I thought he was out in, in, in Washington or California, somewhere out there, and come to find out, he's right up the road here in North Camulana, and uh, we're going to let him tell us a little bit about that in a little bit. Hand of Vengeance, um, The Accidental Voyage, and then if you if you guys are interested in, like, the um, psalms, hymns, um, those kinds of things, or where they come from, he's got this series called Mr. Pipes, which deals with uh, a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, the hymns and the, the psalms and things of that nature. And so I just want to let you guys know, we use these with our kids— And a lot of them are historical narratives, and I'm going to let Douglas tell you about that. They're using real things that happen, real people, but they also use some fictitious people to kind of tell the story from that perspective. A lot of times you get certain history things, but you don't get the feel of what was going on at the time. So it's my privilege to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, first time, uh, Douglas Bond. Good morning, man. Good to see you.
0: Good morning, Tim. How are you? I'm doing... I was getting some glitches but. Yeah I think we're getting some glitches
1: Right now man uh, It says that there's a low bandwidth on your side I don't know what, what's going on there But uh, it's great to have you on the show okay. Let's see if we can get that straight And it kind of went in and out You were fine up until the point where I started bringing up books So <laughs> I don't know yeah, if that has something I, to do yeah, with let's
0: it Let's see if I can Hold yeah. on oh, um, here uh, I may Be able to Okay. um.
1: We'll let you do that. Go ahead and see if you can sort that. I want to bring people over real quickly while you're trying to sort that out. Everything seemed fine up until the point where I gave the introduction. But uh, you can find Douglas at uh, bondbooks.net. Bondbooks.net is where you can uh, find out about uh, Doug. You can see about his speaking and and different things. And then also you can uh, pick up his books there as well as uh, you can go to Amazon. You can go to uh, Douglas Bond there and uh, you can find all of his books. Some of them I don't, we don't have, uh, but he's, he's a pretty busy guy. And uh, Doug, do you got everything s- sorted out over there?
0: I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> uh, are you getting anything better now? I'm trying to get uh, uh, attention here. But...
1: Yeah, it's just showing that there's a, a, a low bandwidth on your network there.
0: Okay, let me do this. I'm going to move to a different... Room, and okay, see if that helps closer to the source, with okay. the- <laughs> all right. We're yeah, that's
1: that's fine. Uh, doing live radio, sometimes this happens, and you guys know this happens occasionally with Kate on Saturdays. Uh, we get into that and it'll shrink. and it'll, But as long as the audio is coming in, we're good to go. Uh, we can deal with the video process a little bit there. But uh, just to kind of reiterate, we used to take these books and along with uh, another author that our family really liked, Dr. R- Richard Belcher, who li- who used to live right up the road from us as well. If you want to learn theology sort of in a story form, I highly recommend Richard Belcher's books. Uh, you know, if you've got young people, even if you're an older person, man, I loved I love those books. I love reading them with my kids. Uh, all of those kinds of things are very helpful in developing your understanding of theology. And of course, Doug is uh, a it's a big one on history. It's, it's learning history and, and, and how God worked in history. And so uh, I think we're getting a little bit better signal there. We're not stuck on the little one, so I'm, I'm sure that uh, everything yep. will be good there, Doug.
0: Okay. Yep. Just down downstairs closer to the <laughs> forest or everything. Okay. Yeah.
1: He's going to have to wake up the house moving around and
0: everything. <laughs> That's right. That's the deal. <laughs> yeah. oh. Okay. So, how are we doing here? Is yep, this... you're, you're
1: doing good. So let me let me do this while you're moving around getting set up there. Why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself and um, and who you are, and then you know why you got into writing all these books.
0: Well, um, I uh, was one of those kind of kids who who wanted to stay away from writing as much as possible because it's so much work. And uh, so journalism class in high school, you know, I was saying I'll be the photographer. You know trying to get out of writing articles and things like that. Um, so I wasn't one of these uh, young people. They come up to me all the time, and they tell me they had a passion to write a book, and they've written their 15th book, and they're 15 years old. I wasn't one of those guys. Um, you know, I, um, I loved books, and I had my mother is is a bibliophile and classic literature person she used to she used to read um, Shakespeare to me when I was 10 years old sitting on the couch hearing her voice she read so amazingly she'd do middle English uh with me you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm sitting, I couldn't understand a word of it but totally totally enchanted by um, by literature, by books, by poetry, by all these things. So so the Lord was doing work in my heart that way and, and, um, uh, and at a early age. And um, I was helping some colleagues. I was copy editing for some colleagues because I was a high school, high classical school, Christian school um, English teacher, and uh, who were uh, attempting to get some uh, books published. And as I was doing this, I thought, geez, you know, these guys can do this. I I should be able to do this. And uh, so uh, some ideas started doing. I was leading uh, tours as I continue to do to this day, uh, uh, church history tours. And um, I had just come back from John Newton at William Cooper's home in Oney. uh, leading some tours there and other places. And on the plane on the way home, ideas started stewing for a contemporary story in which would be embedded um, both the history of hymnody and the history of uh, the the hymn writers and so forth, uh, but also Christian Christian theology and and the the, the history of Christian worship and liturgy and all that. And um, so those ideas started stewing. I got home, had a sleepless night and my Mr. Pipes books were born out of that, and shortly thereafter, in fact, uh, the twentieth anniversary thereof, um, uh, Duncan's War uh, was published uh, twenty years ago, and um, and uh, King's Arrow, Rebels Keep soon followed, and now this this year, thirty and thirty one books uh, are coming out, and and. Um, uh, lots lots more has come since then so <laughs> there's a short synopsis of that i guess okay and one of one of your your big
1: things if i if i recall correctly when we first started getting into this uh and i think our first the first we had the mr pipes book uh that we were yep. using with uh in, in our homeschool education but but the but the duncan's war was one that uh began all of it for us and my understanding is you really have um, your major thing is this this understanding of of Scottish history, which, by the way, the 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 Celtic metal music that we were listening to at the pre show is is uh, from Leah, and she's a Christian mom, homeschools, got five or six kids, she's got wow. a couple of businesses that she does. She was in British Columbia, now I think she lives in Arizona, I think is where they're at, um, and so has this uh, you know Rush Dooney. Post mill kind of view, a very very hopeful view of what God is doing in the earth uh, through Christ in subduing His enemies and and uh, glorifying Himself through that. But but yours is very much tied to uh, Scottish history.
0: That's true, uh, and I think I was drawn to the Covenanters particularly. now I've written about John Knox in two different books: uh, uh, the Thunder, as you mentioned, and also the Mighty Weakness of John Knox, the Paganer. But um, and fascinated with him, I think he. Uh, so many of these people were so maligned. I mean, Calvin in the betrayal you showed uh, your your listeners uh, a few minutes ago, um, probably the most maligned uh, historical figure out there. Yeah, man. Um, uh, and and you know the the thing that will dispel all of that is just to read them, especially read their letters. And so I I became fascinated with Reformation history, of course, but also. The, the Covenanters themselves. You know, uh, John Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Well, well John Fox was a contemporary of Calvin and Knox, and, and you know, so he's going to die bef- a century before the Covenanters are going to face their cataclysmic struggles with a king who says that he's head of the church, and a tyrant <clears throat> who uh, wants to rule every sphere uh, of life. Um, and um, so, there wasn't much written about them. There's a few things, but most of it was academic and turgid and not super accessible, or some of it was sort of overly flowery and you maybe maybe um, maybe wondered sometimes, is this for real? It's You know, these, this guy is so enthusiastic, maybe he's not giving us the scoop. Um, so I began doing research. I, I made connections, had a lot of friends in Scotland, I still do, um, <clears throat> from leading the tours there and um, got connected with more and more people. Um, who were able to, uh, route me to sources and libraries and all, uh, that, uh, I just went by a library in, in, in uh, in air, uh, just a few weeks ago when I was there that I had spent days in, um, and finding these incredible tomes and, and reading and distilling material from them on oh, the enters. And they are, um, as you said, Tim, early on, you know, the, the, the founding fathers of, uh, our uh, our great republic uh, started long, long before, you know, uh, before John Witherspoon and the rest. But John Witherspoon is in a in a direct line from them theologically. And um, one, he's a, he's a great great uh, hero of mine, John Witherspoon. In fact, I was just uh, chatting with Harry Reader the other day, and he was trying to urge me to write a write a write a book on. Him. Uh, John Witherspoon, which I'd love to do. I include he he has appearances in uh, Guns, uh, Guns of Providence uh, in the Third Faith and Freedom trilogy. But uh, the Covenanters are fascinating to me. They were um, stripped of all their rights. One of the first things that they were stripped of was the uh, the right to assemble. Uh, They were stripped of the right to bear arms, Um, and and just the list goes on and on. They were stripped of the right to educate their children. Um. Are we hearing an echo in some of these things? Um, and they stood their ground at a great price. Um, Eighteen thousand Covenanters lost their life uh, during uh, during that seventeenth uh, century, that uh, killing time, especially in that seventeenth century. It's called.
1: Yeah, one of the things that when you're saying that, and I want people to understand is. Is that when these guys, when the Covenanters, and I've told people about the book uh, Jock Purveys' Fair Sunshine. If you haven't read it, trust me, get it. It's it's like that thick. It's not. It's nothing. And but you will fall in love with those guys. Those guys <laughs> had real conviction. It wasn't just a saying conviction. They had it. They went out and they they were divided a little bit. And some of them were pacifists. Some of them were were for for taking up arms and such. And For the people who are on the video platforms, when you see that image there, that's the Scottish Covenanters who weren't pacifists, but they believed in loving their brother and protecting them. But how were their rights being stripped? I want people to understand their rights weren't... Their their rights weren't being stripped because they would not submit to papal authority. They wouldn't go to the the church the and worship in the Roman way. They they rejected all of that kind of stuff. John Knox and Calvin and and Luther all of those guys were used greatly of God. They were just simple men. They weren't anything extraordinary, but they were used of God to break the back of the tyranny over there in Europe uh, of the papacy. Over them, could could you elaborate a little bit on that? Because that really comes through. I know in the in the Scottish Covenanter books, it really comes through.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you you take Geneva for example, uh, in Geneva, and of course it's it so maligned; it's an incredibly maligned place. But it was called it was called in its own day a haven for women, you know, and that that's 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 completely obscured by the uh, you know the progressive secularists today, who ostensibly are supposed to be uh, on the side of women. Right? Uh, Geneva had laws that protected women. From exploitation and prostitution and other things, and they had laws that protected them in the home and made it a place where it was it was the it was the refugee city of Europe during the 16th century. You don't you don't read that in the text the Enlightenment informed textbooks that we have. Uh, you, you don't hear that when you talk to a history professor at uh, any of our academies. Um, you know, it was it was a place of freedom, and and it also was a place of of law and order. And yes, there were laws in place, and yes, you know, there were penalties for uh, for violating those laws. But they were they were just laws. They were laws that that emerged out of the pages of the of the Word of God. And um, um, you know, Calvin gets Calvin gets maligned for. Uh, I've I've heard it said. In fact, I was sitting in the living room of a uh, of a. Um, president's mansion at a uh large private university um and uh <laughs> my son was there he's a lawyer now he's uh, quite the advocate he um he brought up to this professor he was graduating from this institution and had gotten to be on the dean's list and so forth and gotten to know the president who was a, a liberal um and a, a a liberal methodist and he um He, his wife mentioned or something that oh Calvin yeah he's the guy that was burning everybody in Geneva. Well, (laughs) of course that pushed pushed my buttons, and I'm like whoa whoa whoa. And so I gave him the I gave him the short version, which is Michael Servetus was wanted by the Roman Catholics. He was wanted for all kinds of layers of heresy. Um, He um, uh, he had voluntarily come to Geneva and was trying to supplant. The leadership in the church in Geneva, and um, and was was causing lots of troubles, and was arrested by the civil arm by the city council, and put in prison. He had a he had a long rap sheet. Let's put it this way, and um, was uh, facing um, uh, execution. Um, and um, Calvin went to the uh, execution by burning, Calvin went to the city council and he pled on behalf of Servetus. Calvin was not even a a citizen of Geneva when Michael Servetus was burned at the stake, let alone on the city council. He wasn't on any of that. He was the pastor of Saint-Pierre, preaching the gospel uh, multiple times per week and training young men to go back into France, where uh, many of them would die. Uh, Send us wood, we'll send you arrows. And uh, they got their brevet de potence, which was their certificate of execution, when they graduated from the academy. And they went back to France, and many of them, uh, many of them died uh, for their faith. And Calvin's letters to them were fatherly and full of tears and grief and love, um, mm-hmm. and and giving them courage and strength in the final hours. Um, but, you know, so Calvin pled for them to amend his sentence uh, from burning at the stake, which was a torturous and, and miserable way to die, to um, uh, civil execution by beheading, which happened in every every city in Europe. It didn't just happen in Geneva. And burnings at the stake happened far more frequently in Rome uh, or in uh, uh, Paris or in many other places than uh, they did in Geneva. There was one during Calvin's 23 years, and Calvin opposed it. And yet Calvin is tarred as uh, a tyrant and somebody who wanted to restrict liberties from people and yet geneva was called in its own day a haven for women um i could go on with knox knox yeah. was called a misogynist a hater of women and um you know he he did write and calvin suggested he not publish it uh the first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women well knox was knox had three marys in mind who were monstrous monstrous tyrants um, uh, they, they, were, you know, uh, Bloody Mary was the one that burned all the Marian martyrs, uh, the, that included the, uh, the bishops, martyrs in Oxford and, and so forth. Over 300, um, pastors, Christian pastors who believed in justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, they believed in the word of God, were burned in the state by that Mary. And that was the particular Mary that he was after. There was also the Queen Regent of France, uh, what well, she was a French princess, but of, of Scotland, who was the mother of Mary, Queen of Scots. Too many Marys, but you have uh, you have all three of these Marys were in Knox's crosshairs, and they were monstrous tyrants. He wasn't exaggerating. Um, uh, who's the who's the who's the hater of women? Three Roman Catholic. Um, tyrants, female tyrants, who don't want women, girls, rich or poor to be educated, to learn to read, to go to school, to, to, um, uh, to use their minds. Or John Knox, who was instrumental in founding the first national education system in the history of the Western world. And we say, whoa, we don't want the government in in uh, education and that's you know that is a important very important discussion in our context of course but knox wanted christian schools and he wanted them available for everybody including the poor in in in, uh, scotland and he wanted them available for the first time for girls now it doesn't sound like a misogynist to me it sounds like somebody who loves Women. Well, Doug, do you think?
1: Let me ask a question about Knox because I know one of the things that people will will accuse him of, and I know people have misunderstood what I've said when I've said we've not raised we've not raised our children uh, to where their minds are mat- are maturing like their bodies are. Uh, we, we've been derelict of duty in that, so to speak. And I know one of the things is is that you know biologically, when you look when when kids go through puberty, they're giving the signs they're ready to start families. And what's happened is, is in our society, they've mixed so much of this pedophilia where they're taking it from pedophiles to underage minors. And I think those two things, I think those things are distinct, but, you know, our forefathers and other people would, would marry very early, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, and they're start having children. Um And the same thing happened here with Knox, not in that respect, but he was much older, what, like 40, and he marries a girl that's like 18. Uh, and so I think some people start looking at that, and because of their looking in the modern context, that's why they would see him as a misogynist. Yeah. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the thing about that marriage, it was his second marriage. His first wife had died, and he had two little boys. He was trying to care for and take care of, and there wasn't a, any, kind of, any kind of help for that, really, and he's pastoring this church, and he's going around and installing pastors all around Scotland and all of this, and he remarries um, fairly soon after, very normal in those days, and, um, and yes, marries a much younger woman. He was actually, I think, close to his 50s by then, um, and the, the, the wonderful thing about it is it was a marvelous marriage. She's at his bedside. When uh, my last chapter of um, uh, of The Mighty Weakness of John Knox, I wrote in John Knox's home on the Royal Mile. I wrote the first draft of it there, uh, in all likelihood, the room that he died in. And uh, what's, what's happening? She's sitting at his bedside. She's reading scripture to him, praying with him. They had a wonderful relationship, and uh, they had three daughters, and... Their daughters went on to be stalwart, stalwarts, st- stalwarts uh, daughters of liberty. I mean, they were amazing. Um, uh, you know, uh, covenanters themselves and married to covenanter men. And it was. Um, it, it, it's just a. It's a marvelous story. Yeah, in in our modern context, that seems kind of odd, and you know, we think, oh my goodness. Um, but you know, we're superimposing uh, a very distorted, secularized, twisted. Um, uh, society and culture amen, and um, a very distorted understanding of God making us in his image male and female and making us to uh, live live joyful lives of marriage, love and pleasure together and and procreation together. That's how God made it. you know God's a hedonist you know he he invented all the all the pleasures all of this is his design. We just take and distort it and wrench it out of shape and then offer it back to a generation of people as if it's the real article. And it's such a tragedy. It's 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 ruinous to a culture. And it, it, it and I've seen it over and over again. It's it just it breaks my heart.
1: Yeah, same here. Same here. And a lot of us are coming back and we're learning, um, and I can speak for myself, we're learning things that our fathers knew when they were like teenagers. That they would have known these the yeah. things that we're having to relearn. And me as 53, I'm having to relearn things that my forefathers knew when they were teenagers, which really, when we talk about standing on their shoulders, we're standing on the shoulders of giants—real, real men who had lived their lives. They knew the word of God, uh, they knew the society, they knew their history, and they were able to apply uh, the word of God in that, in doing what the Scripture says: subduing Christ's enemies into Himself, either by the gospel or in in judgment, one or the other. Now, let me ask you this, because some people are probably saying, well, wait a minute, I come here and I, I only know founding fathers like, you know, George Washington or John Adams or uh, Thomas Jefferson or any of these guys. Long before those guys existed, these guys that we're talking about existed, and they're the ones who had the foundations, you know, um, uh, the, the Apostle Paul says that the foundations are the apostles and the prophets. They're the, I think he's speaking mainly of the Scriptures. He's saying the Old and New Testament are the foundations. That is Christ, and we build upon that. So how do these guys, these Scottish Covenanters, Calvin, uh, Luther, um, Zwingli, all these guys in Europe who have been instrumental, Wycliffe, any of these guys who've been instrumental in breaking the back of Rome, and that's what we're talking about, breaking the tyranny of that religious, which is a religious and a civil sphere tyranny. They were instrumental in doing it. How did they come into the picture of of the United States of America?
0: Well, That's that's such an important question, Tim, and it underscores how ignorant we are, really you know i mean it really does because you know people think that the you know constitutional convention and our and our founding fathers uh, gathered there to to draft a constitution and the table was empty the table was not empty you know there were they had either physically there on the table or in their minds in their understanding in their in their in their whole psyche they had the, the these greats of uh, history you know scottish history take take Knox and his understanding of the importance of the uh, of the of the subject restraining the crown if the crown steps out of its boundaries, there're spheres of sovereignty, and when the crown steps out of its sphere, it's the responsibility of those uh, of the subjects to restrain. The crown and Knox said that directly to Mary Queen of Scots, there, Hollywood Palace at the, at the end of uh, the Royal Mile, um, and uh, ostensibly, you know, history tells us that she broke into tears. Um, uh, she just couldn't handle him telling her the truth about uh, her philanderings and all the rest, and uh, and how she'd stepped out of the bounds of her sphere of sovereignty and um, the church. Uh, has a responsibility. The, the individual in the home has a responsibility to restrain uh, tyrant. Um, and you know, I love Samuel Rutherford, and my my youngest son's middle name is Rutherford. And his lex rex, written in sixteen forty four, while he was still down as a as a delegate um, t- uh, to the Westminster uh, Assembly in England, um, you know, a, a great covenanter, really one of the one of the one of the most. Um, uh, I think, in in terms of, I mean, he wasn't out there in in big battles and all that, that uh, the covenanters engaged in, uh, but he was there, you know, really in the in the theological and philosophical battles. He was laying all of the foundation stones there in lex rex, lex rest, the law is king. King's not the law. And uh, so what happens in 1644, of course, you have the you have the uh, the victory of Parliament in the English Civil War. All this is in my newest my newest book. The hobgoblins may probably need a, another a show about uh, John Bunyan altogether. But um, so many people took their stand, and and uh, what, here's here's Rutherford writing Lex Rex, in which he makes a biblical argument for uh, taking up. I used, to, I used to have my students, when I'm teaching the War for Independence, I would have them read excerpts of this, look up all the scriptures that Rutherford, um, the Rutherford cited, um, the, the biblical reasons for uh, taking up arms against a tyrant who is oppressing the poor and the needy and, uh, and uh, the general populace. Um, they're out of their sphere. They're out, of, they're out of their lane. Um, they're going the wrong direction on the highway. It's our job to take them off the highway or they're going to kill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to be hurt. And so I, you know, Rutherford makes that case so well. I, um, we, could, we could do a whole show on him. I mean, Rutherford's an amazing individual. Um, and again, go back to his letters. If you really want to see his heart, the letters of Samuel Rutherford, everybody kept them in his day. Uh, because he was so pastoral and because ultimately, all the covenanters, if you want to distill it down to one thing, what is it that made them tick? What is it that made Calvin, Knox, uh, the Huguenots? We just passed uh, uh, the St. Bartholomew's Day, uh, August 24th, St. Bartholomew's Day, 1572. Uh, Another tyrant, uh, Catherine de' Medici, Queen Regent of France, orchestrates a massacre Of Huguenots in Paris. Horrible, horrible stuff. What did they have to do? They had to take up arms, and what followed was a succession of about seven wars of religion in France. They were fighting for their lives, and they had to do it. When John Huss is burned at the stake at Constance, uh, another wonderful guy, uh, you have Jan Ziska, Jan Ziska, the one-eyed general who, who, who trains a a citizen army in bohemia and and uh trains the women they learned how to use the bohemian flail sounds like a scary instrument it's what they use to beat the uh the uh, the, the chaff out of the out of the grain and uh, and uh, uh, they learned how to use it. He, he built tanks, um, uh, movable tanks, and they could they, they, they trained with these tanks, and they could move them into position, drop down the gates, crossbows, and, and then quickly move elsewhere and all of that. Jan Zils- Ziska was doing God's work, and he was doing it in God's name um, to, to stop the Holy Roman Empire and the pope who were trying to overrun a, um, a Bethlehem Chapel, Pre reformational uh, uh, Bohemia uh, that uh, is just an amazing story. One of the things on my radar right now. I'm going to co author with my wife uh, a a story about Anne of Bohemia. Don't get me started on that. It will be here all day. I could go on and on and on. And the the point is the main thing, and I want to say this so clearly here the main thing wasn't about my stuff, my house. Uh, my my cows. Well, that wasn't the main thing. It, it wasn't about taxes, you know. Without it was the glory
1: of God. They wanted God to and, be seen in the midst.
0: You know what it was about too. And and this is where the Covenanters come back in, and they inform us. You know, you go to 1637 at St Giles' Hiker, and you have a, a packed out church. It had been so for for now for for decades and decades and decades. Knox dies in 1572. Um, he dies just shortly after the the, mass, the Saint Bartholomew's Day Massacre, and he heard about it, and he was so grieved at the loss of all those brothers and sisters there—three thousand in one day in Paris—and it, and it trickled on for days afterwards, um, just slaughter uh, of them. Um, and um, it, it uh, so we're here at Saint Giles, and um, and and Dean Haney who is an Episcopalian appointed by the crown, to step into the lectern and read Laud's liturgy there in Presbyterian uh, Scotland, Covenanter Scotland, and, and nobody should be surprised at the outcome of this worship service. <laughs> and it was it was the intrepid Jenny Geddes who rises from her stool, picks up her stool and says, Will you read that book in my lung? And she chucks her stool at Bean Haney. And we might say, I don't know if that's doing all things you know, decently in an order. Okay, fair enough. But there's actions and there's react. And the action of setting up the tyrant as the head of the church and imposing on yep. God's people the, uh, a liturgy that had been so twisted and distorted by the uh, Archbishop Laud. You know, if a madman had been let loose in Scotland, says John, uh, says Charles Dickens in his children's history of of uh, the U.K., he, he says he couldn't have done more damage than Archbishop Law did. Doug, and, can, um, can I
1: get you to clarify something for people? Because, look, we, we have people in the audience. Uh, some of them are believers. Some are not believers. Uh, some are new believers. Some are mature believers, uh, just like in any setting. And no. w- let me get you, t- because you're using the term liturgy over and over, I know what it means, but just for those who might not know what you mean by liturgy, can you help explain what that is for them?
0: Excellent. Uh, liturgy is, is what is it put, put in the most um, blunt terms, it's what we do when we gather to worship God. It's what God, put better, I would say, the best liturgies are what God tells us we should do when we worship God, the regulated principle. And, um, and uh, that was very important to the Scottish Covenanters. Uh, Knox would say that if you include something in the liturgy, that is, in what you do when you gather to worship the living God in his house, um, anything that's not prescribed by scripture is idolatry. And Knox uh, was, he was into tearing down idols, uh, just like all the great prophets uh, of old. Uh, you, you tear down the idols. Um, and and you, you don't quibble about whether th- this is art and, and needs to be preserved for posterity. This is an idol. People are bowing down to it. They're worshiping a false god. It needs to go. Cut down the groves. Um, and and so w- w- what was the point for Jenny Geddes and for the Scots there in 1637, which led uh, a few weeks later to the National Covenant? And the National Covenant, people signed it literally in their blood. They said that they were going to resist the usurper of the crown rights of the Redeemer and His Kirk, and they would uphold the crown rights of the Redeemer and His Kirk. Everything was about Jesus Christ, and that's what every liturgy should be about. That's what every and that, that, that's what the, that's what it's all about. And this is the foundation of American civil liberties: is is Jesus Christ standing fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has. Set us free. Now we we've become a pluralist society, and our our founding father, our immediate founding fathers, were concerned and and rightly so about having a state religion like Anglicanism. This was on the radar for the Puritans and for the Covenanters, and and for, certainly for John Witherspoon, absolutely. Scott, over. Yeah, I mean, he knew what would happen if there was a state church imposed on people. So, some the secularists say, see, you know, the Declaration of Independence doesn't have anything about God in it, which means he's never read the Declaration of Independence, but um, <laughs> that these documents have nothing to do with God in it. And, and well, that's complete falsehood, number one. But, but number two, um, when they say they didn't want to establish uh, a state church. They didn't want to establish Christianity. They don't say a state church. They didn't want to establish Christianity. as. And and you say well okay but there was something there's always something in it's him. always that
1: history of Rome and and her imposition both in the religious you know Doug that that leads me to believe we can draw it right back from Scripture Moses didn't go in and perform the duties of the priest did he and the priest didn't go perform the duties of Moses and those who were set up they were distinct but they worked together among God's people and I think that's what you're getting at Rome wants to do both they want to control the religious what you think spiritually what God is is, who, who he said he is, what he's done, this, that, and the other. They won't even control oh. it down to, boy, if you know, we're going to baptize you, and you're you're regenerate, and then you know, but if you commit a mortal sin, and then you've got to come and confess that to the Father, and Jesus says, you don't call anybody Father, but God, right? Uh, those kinds of things. Uh, versus, and, and then they want to carry that over in the civil sphere to become what the Pharisees were at the day, adding their own little pretended laws and to oppress the people that they themselves weren't even keeping. So I want people to understand there's a lot that came before that. Now we can go back to Thomas Gage in um uh Massachusetts and we can see uh just reading that story of how he treated his people and how they responded, you can see like several of the amendments to the constitution that are in there right out of that. Uh sure. that you can see directly from that. But Large part, you're pointing out these things, and I'll, what I want people to get in their heads is, look, when these guys—it wasn't that they wanted to take up arms. They wanted to take up—when uh, you read, um, especially Jock Purveys, or you read any of your stories uh, that you tell, the historical narratives there from the Crown and Covenant uh, series, when you read it, it's not that these guys had this uh, bloodlust. It wasn't that they, they were out to to just be— you know, these weekend warriors that they just wanted to kill people in this. And that wasn't it. They were fighting because they realized, like what God said to Israel about the Malachites, if you don't wipe these people out, a little Levin leavens the
0: whole lump, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely right. And, um, uh, I mean, they understood that if they if they did. Well, let, let me back up for a moment. You know the field meetings. I was thinking about that. One of the pictures that came up uh, during the during the uh, the Celtic the Celtic medal, my my 19 year old son would love that. But um, the um, w- was a, was a was a field and all, and it just reminded me of these conventicles. That the Scottish governors met in. They went out to worship God because the churches, the parish churches, were all controlled by the crown, and you were forced to go and hear some drunk. Um, you know, cousin of so and so, who was appointed to be the vicar there, who had no sense of the word of God or uh, of Christ, uh, as as Wycliffe loved to call it, the law of Christ. It didn't have any sense of that. He was a time server, uh, hireling, and so what they did was they just they didn't show up. Their name went down on the blacklist, They didn't show up. They got fined. They got fined. They got fined, um, and they got hunted down. And they went out into the glens and into the moorlands and they met to worship God under the heavens, uh, sometimes in the drake, the, the, the rain and the cold and all of that. And there's stories of some of them getting pneumonia and dying to go worship the Lord. You think about what we've been passed through with the pandemic. There are Christians in Nigeria who go to church knowing that the likelihood is that church is going to get torched while they're in there this Sunday. And they go anyway. They don't quibble about a mask or a vaccine, they go and worship Jesus. They go and sing his praises, and um, and that's that's what God's people, intrepid, courageous Christians have done down through the centuries. We need it more than ever. You know what do I do? I do history. More than ever, we need to get reattached to history. If we don't, if we don't gain perspective on where we are right now, um, we're we're going to be entirely enslaved. Um, and. Um, you know, it was it was Witherspoon who said that if you give if you render up your civil liberties, I'm paraphrasing him here. Don't expect to keep your religious liberties. You re, you render up the one, your religious liberties will come next. So you draw the line in the sand, as Witherspoon did when he signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, one of the reasons why uh, the um, the War for Independence, I like this name actually, is called the Presbyterian Parson's War. <laughs> i love that you know? uh, they called them song singing yankees i live in north carolina
1: now
0: you're a johnny up. reb
1: yeah, now aren't you <laughs>
0: that's right you you. yeah but um yeah so well doug anyway. here, here's
1: the thing we got about three minutes left can you stay okay. for do you do you want to stay or can you stay uh over the allotted time that we have is that okay or you guys I can stay
0: for a few minutes, sure. Yeah.
1: All right, we'll keep you over a little bit. Um and I I want to give you time to kind of, you know, point people to your website and stuff even though we did that the first but, but there's so much to unpack here. I mean, yeah. you're kind of telling us what went on there. I want to I mean, It's probably going to take us a little bit of time. And so I I don't want to hold you up, but as much time as you'll give us, I want you to kind of help people understand all this stuff that happened in the 14, 15, 1600s and all this stuff, both in Europe and then here in the States, because people have to understand the United States existed not in the name, the United States of America existed not in the name, but in that foundation that was set because all of the colonies. All of the laws that were that were being passed, and you can go back and read I did a whole thing on uh, how the how they dealt with sodomy, how our forefathers dealt with sodomy, and almost everyone, and one of the fascinating ones is the point back to states like New York, they would cite Leviticus and they would say. This is the this is a, a capital crime. Um, you would have Blackstone who would say it's a it's a crime that shouldn't even be mentioned. It's the you know it's the crime that shouldn't be mentioned. Um, they would Im- speak of that and then they would say the punishment is death. It wasn't, you know, we're trying to. F- Sort that out, and these people just have a different lifestyle, or you know, like some of the states that would say, "Oh, you got to have twenty-one years hard labor." I don't know where they got that from, uh, but at least they recognize it was a crime. That was that was the whole issue. It was a crime uh, against nature and against nature's God, and they put those things there. How does these guys, and I'm gonna give you just about a minute and then we're gonna to cut to about 30 seconds where you can give your website, how do these guys start to bring that over into the new world, so to speak, and what's their influence? And maybe we can talk a little bit about this after the, the radio show's over.
0: Yeah. Well it's a big topic, such a big topic, and I and I you know I can't do it justice. So, and, and probably it would exhaust my my expertise as well. But um, but they were they were so intent. You, you know, the bottom line was they loved the law of Christ, as Wycliffe called it. Um, they they loved the Word of God, and you know all of the do's and all of the don'ts in the Word of God are not impositions of a mean, capricious God. They are they are a gracious and kind and loving Heavenly Father who's saying, "Don't play in the freeway." You'll get killed by a match. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and that's not mean. That's not unkind. That's that's part of Jesus' heart as gentle and lowly. That he says, Don't play in a freeway. Yeah. You know? yep. Don't 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 play with matches. Right. You know. I'm using these as metaphors really for all these uh, all these other things. The, the Doug, hold hold on
1: to <laughs> hold on to that thought and tell people you got about 10 seconds, tell people where they can find out more about you and get your books.
0: Okay. Well, uh, bondbooks.net—that's the place, not .com, but .net. Wow, there it popped up Bond, bondbooks.net, and uh, we have uh, we have new tools. I, I do the Oxford Creative Writing Masterclass, which is a marvelous time for aspiring writers. I have a new one open, but it's very limited uh, application registration. I only can take I can only take seven. Okay, writers. all right,
1: Doug, hang oh. on, guys. Catch us on Libertymedia.com We'll be back with you at eight a.m. in the morning with Kate Shimerani. See you. Then there, the real quick, guys. Uh, we want to welcome it. everybody yeah. coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And uh, Doug didn't mean to cut you off. We were just coming up against that no, that break it. there. So exactly. go ahead and finish your thoughts, man. No.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, and, and I'd love to have uh aspiring writers. We uh, up, just did one in June it was marvelous. It was a startup after everything shut down. Uh, you know, all my tours were shut down. Everything was was shut down. We're doing Rome to Geneva again this year. This year or this coming year in twenty twenty three. Uh, June seventeenth to twenty seventh, and um, we already have people registering for that and inquiring. They, they were inquiring about it before I even announced the new tour. Um, it is a marvelous tour. Uh, the food is great. It, you know, you're you're in you're in some some magnificent uh, uh, history and uh, and all and and, and, and it, but 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 really, it's a tour. It's a theological tour. It's a tour from works to grace. And uh, so it's the Rome to Geneva tour, and we we spent a lot of time in Rome. We, we follow Luther's 1510, still an unbeliever, his pilgrimage uh, in Rome, and the various places he went to, and what he thought, and what he said, and his responses, and all that's kind of the thread that runs uh, keeps everything together while we're in Rome. And then onward, we go to Renea Ferrara, the Castle Esti. It was just a, a giant um, uh, courageous Christian, godly woman in a horrible marriage. Uh, uh, one of the lectures I do is the 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 the, the horrible marriages of the Reformation. Um, these arranged marriages, godly women, brutal, uh, miserable husbands. Um, but uh, you can also find uh, uh, more about those the tours, the Oxford tour, where we are planning. We've been talking about doing a Carolina Creative Writing Masterclass right here, right here in this. Magnificent uh, Sarah Hirsch Crawford House. We bought uh, last February. It's uh, on the historic register. It's just a just a amazing place. We're, we're loving it, um, but we haven't we haven't totally tooled that up and gotten dates on the calendar yet. But um, anyway, uh, but but uh, I write historical fiction uh, primarily. I also write biographies. I uh, uh, write some practical theology. Grace works and ways we think it doesn't. God sings, and uh, ways we think he ought to. That's uh, that's a book on liturgy for listeners we talk about we talk about liturgy it's about particularly our song liturgy and that's a fairly new new release these are all available um got special deals on the website and uh, a couple of the hymnals that my new reformation hymns are now appearing in uh, are available uh there on the site as as well and um Ah, uh, new. My newest release is *The Hobgoblins* by John Bunyan. Or not. It's not by John Bunyan. It's by me, but it's, it's about John Bunyan. <laughs> and it's, I create a. I create a fictional character. I actually, I actually take from *Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners*. Uh, Bunyan one time mentions a childhood friend with whom he used to do all kinds of pranks and crazy stuff, um, like ringing ringing bells during the worship service. That you know the French are coming. The French are coming. You know things like that. Crazy stuff. Some of them were just. Stupid stunts and others were you know downright blasphemous, sinful. But um but um uh he he mentions Harry uh, as a childhood friend who he used to cut up with. And uh Bunyan goes on and the grace of God is converted marvelously, and we, we know something of his story. Um I try to unpack it uh, in its details there uh, in mm-hmm. The Hobgoblins from the point of view of Harry, who's watching Watching uh, Bunyan all along ends up being the jailer. Uh, he thinks he's he's risen in life be, to become the town jailer and all But he has proximity to Bunyan then throughout the story. Hobgoblins comes from the Pilgrim Hymn Which appears in the second part of Pilgrim's Progress, which most people haven't read um, And it's where Valiant for Truth, great name, right? And Mr. Greatheart, yes. just Heart Just taken on and fought some enemies of God's kingdom and uh, some tyrants who are trying to oppress God's children and uh slew them. One of them was named Mr. Presumption. And uh, I often talk to covenant children, children who grew up in Christian homes, and I tell them, you know, that that's that's your sin. That's the sin that the, the enemy's gonna try to get you with is presumption. Uh thinking up, oh, I'm in, I'm I'm good to go, I go to church, you know, I I, I say the right things so I'm supposed to say um, I sit up, do do this, do that, say sir, say man. You know, we're learning that now coming south, but uh, teaching the kids, you know, you got to say, sir, got to say, ma'am. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, and, it's uh, called manners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's a lost thing in the Pacific Northwest. Let me tell you, they don't even know what it is, but uh, the neo pagan Pacific Northwest, there isn't any sense of manners. But uh, but anyway, um, um, Hobgoblins uh, is in the second stanza of the Pilgrim Hymn, which, buying it for truth, sings. He just breaks into it after this triumph, uh, you know. Uh, Who would true valor see? Let him come hither. One here will constant be. Come wind, come weather. So forth. The second stanza is hobgoblins, nor foul fiend can daunt his spirit. He knows he at the end shall life inherit. And so forth. Yeah. You know, right. Doug,
1: when you're saying that, when you're saying that, I'm thinking of when I was reading the the and I don't know it's it's woven throughout the, the series there, the Crown and Covenant series. Yeah. Yeah. But they would it's often it's sing it's a it's certain a Yeah, they would sing a certain psalm t- to one another to let them right. know that they were on the same side, that they weren't being deceived. And you know, we got right. Mr. Wordsworth here talking about he makes this comment in the chat. Distinctions are critical to sorting through all the history in order to come to a correct understanding of what happened. And he followed up with um, many people, or most people, have been given a warped and manipulated view and aren't able to make the necessary distinctions. And and that's so they won't come to a right conclusion. And I think that's been by design by the enemy uh, against us that we we become an ignorant people. I think it was Thomas Jefferson who offered the the quote you can't expect to be ignorant and free at the same time, because ignorant people often become slaves. And we that's what we become in this society. We become slaves. We're not those who walk in authority. We're those who walk in fear of what is the state going to do to us if we don't put the mask on, if we don't get the shot, or if we don't you know, say the right thing, or if we don't uh, keep our lips buttoned about... Uh, There is no such thing as transgenders. Men dressing up like women or mutilating their bodies to make them look like women or women doing this. If we don't keep our mouth shut, somebody's going to, you know, it's going to be considered hate speech. And and it's like we have to be free in order to speak out on those things, not to try to be uh, unsympathetic to sinners. That's not what I'm saying. uh, Or to give them the gospel, but to tell the truth, to speak the truth to them.
0: Right. Uh, I, th- I think that's right, Tim. I think um, we, we live in a day when the pressure, you know, we have to ask ourselves, this is often ascribed to Martin Luther, but he didn't actually say it. It was in a novel written about Martin Luther later. But, but, we, but Luther would say, you know, we have to understand where the battle lines are being drawn for us. You know, we can learn our history and we can find out what, what, what were the battle lines for the Covenanters, what were the battle lines for, and, and we'll see overlap, of course, but where are they specifically for us? In other words, where is the attack coming on the wall? And we've got to make sure that we're on that wall, defending that part of the wall. Amen. And that we're not over on some other part of the, uh, of the castle, defending a part where nobody's, nobody's coming, nobody's threatening that. But we're over here feeling like we're being faithful because we're there on the wall. It's just that there's nobody shooting at you. The, that's not the particular place where the enemy is engaging us right now. Uh, we're, we're finishing Screwtape Letters. We're just a couple chapters ago in, our, in the, one of our family worship times um, in our home. And, uh, you know, L- Lewis is, is so good about giving us the insider view of, you know, what's the particular strategy right now? For the uh, you know our father below, which is the devil, you know, for how they approach the enemy, uh, and, and that's God and and those who say they're followers of you know, uh, yeah, how do you do it? Well, it's the same thing. Reply applies in reverse. We where's the attack? Well, the attack here is in all of these fronts. I think the danger for Christians, and I know I'm I'm wired this way. I can do this because I get I'm, I'm intense. I mean, maybe you've picked up on that already no um, no not yeah. you <laughs> I, get, I get intense i get really intense and i get criticized for this. And, and rightly so because sometimes i'll just say it straight up and it goes into an, that intensity becomes an insensitivity to the slavery and the lostness of this person in front of me so so when i see somebody who's parading their bisexuality or there, whatever they're calling it. And uh and I've seen it uh, c- close close to home and it, and it's just so heartrending. Um I want to first pause and and not react and say, you know, where's my cudgel? You know, um I want to pause and say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Yep. I undeserving sinner that I am, my heart still, even redeemed and regenerate and, and being sanctified daily, my heart goes in sinful, wicked directions. I, I, too, I'm the man. I'm the chief of sin. I want to say these things to myself. I'm the chief of sinners also, right? So, once I have that re-fixed in my mind, that I'm the chief of sinners, then I can approach somebody. Who is in an egregious sin, um, an abomination that Scripture calls? Um, uh, and then I can approach them with with the tenderness of the gospel, as well as the the firmness and unflinching of the law, of the law of God. Yep. And, and, well, there and there things,
1: is Douglas. There there is no there is no grace. There is no mercy. Uh, even though those things are distinct and separate from law, you can't give that unless you bring the law to bear and shut the mouth of the sinner or the lawbreaker. As John That's says, right. he says they're the they're the the the, the one is the one uh, the sinner is the one who transgresses law or sin is transgression of law. Right. And right. if we're right. not willing to shut our mouths and say, you know what, it, even and it should shame us, um, yeah. you know what, you're right. I I have done that. And I'm not going to make an excuse for it. I, You know, half the time when you ask somebody why they've sinned, they don't know why they've sinned anyway. They they have no clue. They just, well, it felt right at the time or whatever, but they don't really understand the spiritual aspect because they're so blinded by their own sin. And we all come into the world that way. That's why I say there's got to be firmness in the presentation of the law and in, in, in justice that's being brought. Even men in in the Old Testament and the New Testament, And throughout history, even men who might have been redeemed, uh, who committed egregious crimes, didn't necessarily escape the consequences of their crime, but the desire Mm -hmm. was always of the people when sentence was passed down um, among godly judges and stuff, was to send in ministers who would give the gospel because although they were going to face the justice of man, they did Mm -hmm. not want them to face the
0: justice of God. I mean, it's so important. This is a thread from earlier. When Michael Servetus was in prison in Geneva, put there by the city council, not by Calvin, not even you know, a person who's not even a citizen uh, of Geneva can't do that. A citizen can't do that, only the city council. Anyway, um, Calvin goes into the prison and he sits down with Michael Servetus, and what does he do? Does he rail against him for his? You know, he pleads all for all him these? to repent. Exactly. He he says, you know, unless you repent, you're going to perish. It's going to be way worse than just your burning at the stake here. You're, you're going to burn in hell for all eternity. That is a mercy. That is extending grace to uh, to Michael Servetus. And Calvin did it. He modeled that. And um, I think that it's it's easy for us to get into our our... You know, into our our little our circle, and to forget that we two would be right there, um, if if it wasn't for the grace of God, and that that tempers my my way of presenting the law of God, my, my way of presenting the bad news. It doesn't alter the bad news. It shouldn't. And if it does, then I'm completely missing the boat here. There's no, the the cross is of no avail. The cross means nothing. Christ's death means nothing unless there's really bad news out there. And there is really bad news out there. And the lost need to know it. But we need to extend it to them with grace, with them knowing that, that this is what we've received. Not because we deserved it. Not because we deserved it all. In fact, Paul makes the case that we deserved less, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know. The, the, the least are the ones that God has pitched his eternal saving grace and love on. Amen. Um, and um, what, a, what a glorious thing. And what a, what a way to regulate my, t- my tendency towards self-righteousness. Let's face it, we all have it. The Pharisees yep. put it on the yep. all the time. Um, and I want to temper that. I try to convey this in my books over and over again: is that, you know, I mean, I mean, Sandy McKeith. Think about him; he's a reluctant subman, reluctant to take up arms. And his son Duncan thinks for a while maybe he's a coward, you know, and um, and all because that's that's sometimes the dynamic between fathers and sons. Let's face it, simply. Um, And and yet, and and it took time for Duncan to understand that his father was so so felt his need for the grace of Jesus every day. That that he he was re, he was so it made him reluctant to to strike down the enemy of the gospel, um without without being able to convey the gospel to them, um and um, so he was so reluctant to do that and eventually of course as we know, uh, it came down to it and he had to do that. Ezra, have a good day. Love you. Um, my, my beloved just brought me my. First of three. Of gonna, yeah, you're gonna have to
1: have another one there. That's a big mug too. Uh but well, okay.
0: I'm you, but this is a first of three.
1: <laughs> first of, well listen, let's take this. Uh I don't wanna keep you too long because I know you got things to do, but I, I'm hoping maybe we can just cover in maybe fifteen minutes, give a Maybe a, a sort of a synopsis of things. We talked a lot about history. We've talked about mentioned a lot of men God has used in history that we don't even know how they've impacted their life, how, how they've impacted our lives hundreds of years later. You mentioned Bunyan people. I've I've uh, mentioned Bunyan several times. Of course, most of the time it pops up with my eschatology where he talks about this beast that comes up from time to time. You know, because everybody every time it's always we're in the last days and everybody you know they've done that for years. And it's yeah. just God's judgment coming upon disobedient people. And Bunyan would say, Well, this happens throughout history and he, he shows that. That's what he's showing in his story. And it's to test men. It's to, it's like when God says, I send false prophets among you to see whether or not you love me. Right. right. It's not to you know, it's not to exalt them, it's to see, do you love me? Do you listen to what I say? Are you obedient to that? So uh, what I want to do in these if we can go fifteen minutes uh, and then I promise I'll let you go, because I want to respect your time, too. And we'll do another show. We'll bring in for some of these things that you talked about before, because I think that's very, very important.
0: I, love it. I but, think i found a kindred spirit here, Tim.
1: Yeah. So if we can take and uh, and and give a synopsis. So when you were saying they come to the Constitutional Convention. Now, I'm one of those guys I recognize at the Constitutional Convention. They sort of – well, they didn't sort of. They usurped the the things that they were told to do, which was – Ratify, or excuse me, amend the Articles of Confed- uh, Confederation, and they wrote a whole new constitution. And even George Mason said, "So we don't have authority to do this, but we're going to do it anyway." And that's why I warn people about Convention of States, Article Five, CONCONS, Cons, and all that other stuff. But the fact of the matter is, there was such an influence that came before that, like hundreds of years before that, the Geneva Bible uh, with Calvin's notes, all that. Brought in what mainly by the English, I think. But then you also have this Scottish Covenanter influence that came in. And you and I were talking about uh, me being a part of the AR, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian, which I didn't even know till we joined. Are the descendants of the Co- Scottish Covenanters? So that was like bonus for me uh, and my right. family. But can you help people understand where is that influence that really came into uh, for a couple hundred years at least into the states? that was Protestant, biblical Christianity that formed the foundation. When I say formed the foundation, it formed the law of the right. society that was there and the just punishments that went across with that. Can you kind of do your best to kind of squeeze that in uh, as yeah. to, to help people understand that?
0: Yeah, well, I'm talking to a guy who lives in South Carolina. I live in North Carolina. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the Carolinas were a basis. I think mean, maybe this is one of my draws. You know, the Carolinas were the places that uh, the first load of Huguenots came. They came in 1562. Did you know they came that early? It probably didn't. And most people don't because they were slaughtered by the Spanish from Florida. Um, and uh, there was another wave that came uh, later, too. And that was also instigated, excuse me, by Catherine de' Medici uh, uh, working with Philip uh king philip of spain and um um so so i guess my point is simply th- this and, and and then there's a whole waves of scottish covenanters that came to these carolinas you know this a beautiful country I, i'm loving it you know um <clears throat> but they came here and they they were hardworking people but they had brought just like you know when somebody moves into your town from california you're thinking you know are they bringing their politics with them you know is, 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 is this a person who likes gruesome newsome or you know um and, and people say the same about us because we're from Western Washington State. And, you know, uh, Comrade Inslee, are we bringing are we bringing our politics with them? I sure people around my neighbors right off. I, I assure them. No, we're we're not, you know, those were never our politics. That's the only reason we left. But um But um this would these were places where um were people who understood the bad news, the, the law of God, and it's convicting and restraining influence, we forget that, that, the, that. One of the reasons for the law of God is to restrain evil. In a, in a simple society where not everybody's a believer, and even believers need the restraint of civil law, you know? that's not, yeah, sure. not just for the unbelievers. You know? I need the restraint of the civil law. Um, and uh, that's as God has ordained it. He's, he's created the spheres of sovereignty. I mean, <clears throat> our pilgrim fathers didn't even get off the boat until they signed the Mayflower Compact. They knew that there needed to be a civil body politic when they landed in the wrong place in this barren Massachusetts coastline and not in Virginia. <clears throat> and, um, uh, well, 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 of course, so this is, in, this is built into the, um, uh, the theological and the, and the uh, civil philosophical roots of the people that came here. And it and it and and even in places where the theological got diluted, you know, with Unitarianism or something like that, and it did it in New England. Think New England. Um, but that was um, even in those places. There's still there's something um, particularly potent about the borrowed capital that that can stay gen- for generations and inform. Uh, and inform lawmaking, and uh, laws are always somebody's—the expression of somebody's worldview. Always are somebody's think, religion. Exactly. Um, it's it's, it's it, you know and and you know um, uh, neo paganism secularism that we have today is clearly a religion. It has all of the earmarks of a religion. It's got its liturgy. It's got its jargon. It's got its you know. It's it's got its t-shirts, it's got everything, you know. Um and um um so it what what's happening is that there's we've we're way past the borrowed capital in most of the halls of learning. I'd say probably almost all the halls of learning uh, in the academy, we're past it in the uh for, for the political class, the the elite, um, by and large, uh have come up through ranks that have Almost entirely severed themselves from the borrowed capital of the truth of God's word, informing our laws. Um, you know, it's uh, in our law schools. You know, I've got a son who's a lawyer. Uh, our law schools, and he actually during his his law time, I hope he wouldn't mind. I don't think he'd mind if I said this. You know, there were times when I was concerned, and I and I talked to him because I felt like he w- he was in an environment where he's so encircled by liberal thought. And, it, and, it, and it's not—it's unchallenged liberal thought. It's not—it's not like it's uh, out there for discussion with, with you know, um, uh, Blackstone or something like that. No, it's it's unchallenged. It's just—it's just, it's just it
1: indoctrination. That's what it is.
0: Exactly what it is. And I—I I felt I was hearing him move in that direction. Well, what it ended up doing was, yeah, he—he he was testing his—he had his toe. He was testing some things, and it's made him much more. He's—he's he's now a prosecutor in Oklahoma City. Um he um he um it, it, it's it's made him much more uh, solid in his uh, amen convictions because you know he had to be out there and i was worried and i was praying and i was you know having conversations with him and then and then now uh, legally in terms of his uh, jurisprudence um you know i i'd I'd vote for it. For the, <laughs> <laughs> if I was in a position to do, for it, do it. Well, Get part it, of a bunch.
1: part of those things is great about seeing your kids that that God becomes their God to them instead of just it's Dad's God who He's taught to me. You know, we're we're both of a covenant mindset that we believe our children, that God makes the promises not to us, but also to our children, as Peter says in Acts chapter 2, just like he promised to Abraham and, and his his line for his seed, which was Christ, we know. But God makes those promises to us. We have every right to hope in Christ that he's going to show the same mercy through the gospel to our children. We don't presume on that. We still do the duties that we have to do as mom and dads to, uh, to educate them, Deuteronomy 6, and to teach them. But but our but our hope is in that God would take out the heart of stone, put in the heart of flesh. Maybe He did it when they were little. Uh, you know, I've known people who've never known a day where they. I mean, they're like David. They've never. You have, <laughs> yeah. That's me. yeah. Yeah, D- David. We read David in the Old Testament all of this other and then he gets caught up in the sin he's he when he's confronted he's repentant but all his life has been I've known God I've meditated on his law I've done my duty before God because he is my God all of these kinds of things transpire and so some of that's that's there so I'm glad to hear you know that's those are great things they're encouraging to the parent's heart because the parent is not God they they may sure. trust in God but they still have those concerns uh because yeah. we're men and it's good to see when our children take hold of God for themselves and say, "God is my God. He's not just the God of my father. He's my, He's my God."
0: Yeah, and I, I guess I would I would add to that because I just in what I do and uh, over the years I've just met a lot of people and I've I've talked with lots of anguished parents and uh, um, I've been that anguished parent. Um, and um, you know, um, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? Yep. That's that's in the Abrahamic covenant. That's Isaac. Uh, that's Isaac's offspring. Isaac got fifty percent, and it's. I, I'm not saying this to dump water on what you're saying. It's true. I'm I'm covenantal to the bone, but um, it is a very fallen world, and God it's, it ultimately sits as sovereign over the salvation of our children, and um, I don't ever want my covenant theology to backwash on my soteriology you know Um, and i you know i would say too that you know if you look at jesus story of the prodigal son and and really the two lost sons but um what is what is the thing that he placards in the father there he's got a love for both of them he's got a love for and he's a tender-hearted father he's a kind father you know he's a generous father Who's, who's Jesus describing? God, our Heavenly Father. That's who he's describing. And, and uh, what happens to him? What happens to that Father? Do, does, do any of us think that a, a, a Father who's portrayed as Jesus portrays the Father of the elder and the younger sons um, wasn't bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Doing the best he could, he never did it perfectly. One day, did he? Um, and neither did Isaac, Isaac with uh, Jacob and Esau. Um, but, but that's not that's not the conditionality of the covenant. It's that you be perfect. You know, as my heavenly Father is perfect. We were just talking about that uh, at dinner last night. Uh, the scariest verse of the Bible, if we don't understand the gospel, is Matthew five forty eight. You know, uh, you know, uh, Jesus ends the the sermon on the mount. You know, be perfect, as my heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so we got to unpack that deal. we got to understand what that really means. It, it means, number one, that God takes sin very seriously. Um, and, uh, and, and, and a call to holiness, He takes very seriously. And as we hear it, we realize, as we hear the whole Sermon on the Mount, we realize that we're not any of those things. We, we're not doing any of those things perfectly. And we're certainly not perfect. We need a perfect substitute. In our place, which is Jesus saying the words, be perfect, as my heavenly father is perfect. And in effect, the gospel is saying, And I'm gonna be perfect for you. I'm gonna fulfill all righteousness on your behalf, and I'm gonna impute it to your account. And then I'm and then that's you know, we don't end there and be antinomians, and then I'm going to actually I love you so much, and the gospel is so expansive that I'm going to I'm gonna justify you. And I'm going to sanctify you because sin's not good for you. That's right, and and then I've emphasized this, and I it's because I it's because I emphasize this. Sin destroys, sin corrupts, sin sin creates um, barriers, and it creates um, baggage, um, and 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 you know we want to we want our kids to be as free from that as possible. So I look at I look at that prodigal, uh, that that father. And really, the prodigal God—you know—a uh, uh, good book, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Prodigal, the prodigal father is really who, who he was, and that's who God is. It, prodigal just simply means give without yep. reckoning. That's right. Yep. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna measure this out. I'm not even gonna check my balance. I'm not checking my bank balance. I'm just gonna give without reckoning. That's God, and that's what I want to be as a father. And guess what? As a father sometimes there are seasons when our kids are in the far country. And we need to, in the Church of Jesus Christ, in the ARP, in the PCA, I hope, by God's grace, I'm on the right track in a PCA. Um, I'm pretty confident I am. but, uh, um, uh, But, you know, we need to be the most generous and kind and enfolding of families have kids who've gone astray and uh, i think that's covenantal in a fallen and broken world that's covenantal and we need to uh i think that should mark the church more than it does tim in, in my estimation i think we tend to finger wag and and you know put on our self-righteous big hat you know when that happens and say well if they just had raised them like i've raised my kids yep. all would be that oh you think and the <laughs> prodigal father wasn't bringing up the younger and the older son and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hmm. They are are individuals before God. And some of them are Jacob, and some of them are Esau. And it breaks my heart to say it, but that's God's sovereignty, and that too is good. That too comes from a loving Heavenly Father who's wise beyond all measure, and who who dispenses his sovereign grace, saving grace, as he wills. And sometimes it's not as I would will. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, and I, I've mentioned this before, uh, Eli and his sons uh, doing what they were doing. And oh, I, when yeah. I read, I, I, it makes me shake uh, and tremble when I read that portion where the prophet comes to him and he says, God is determined he's gonna kill your sons. Why? why you yeah. Know. Yeah, you it's didn't you didn't restrain, to restrain them. Yeah, he tells yeah. him you didn't restrain them. And I, I boy, I'm getting chills just thinking about that. Yeah. What is it that who do we think we are? That somehow we're controlling that. I think we do our duty, and I, I promote people doing their duty, Deuteronomy 6. We, we have God's commands in our hearts. We diligently teach them to our children, you know, all the day long, we at least as best we can. We're, we're seeking to do that. But I, it's like I've told people, I said, if my children turn out any good, then that's glory to God. If they're, If they're bad and sinful, that's on me. That's not on God. And that is a that is a frightening thing to think that God is determined He's going to kill your children. And I, I hope people hear your heart here and what you're saying. I hope they hear the heart of God in that is that we who have been forgiven much, we love much, but we also are recognizing, hey, this is serious stuff. We don't have to be mean and nasty to people. We have this is serious stuff. What you're involved in is going to take you down the road to the judgment of God. And that's why we want people to repent. And you know, Doug, that is the message that is missing from the modern church in America is is the holiness of God, His law is upheld, and that is the reason Jesus comes. Jesus doesn't come just to kind of say, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm hippie Jesus here," and we go and uh, we go we go have a you know a drink together and we hang out together and we be good buddies and I love you, man, and all this other and uh, and leave you in your sin. No, the Bible says He was named Jesus because He will what save His people from well, their sin, not just from the consequence. But he's going to, I tell people, what is the trajectory of your life? It should be towards perfection. I'm not a Wesleyan perfectionist guy, but it should be towards perfection. It should be towards leaving sin off. I think one guy said, your life may not be sinless, but it should be sinning less as you grow and mature in the faith and become conformed to the image of Christ, ultimately to be delivered from the presence and the power of sin forever when we see uh, Christ will be just like him. Uh, Let's close out the show, and then I'll get back together with you, and let's do another show. You you mentioned a couple of topics we can take on uh, that would be fantastic, but uh, take time to to close out. Maybe you want to give a final word of exhortation to our audience, and then tell people where they can find out more about you and your books.
0: Uh, thanks for having me on Tim. It's really been a delight i'm glad to, really glad to meet you just uh, just down the just down the highway for a few miles it sounds like uh <laughs> uh it's a few more than a few but uh, but anyway it's a lot closer to seattle um you know, it's a it's a delight to be here it's um uh my heart is uh um you know i wanna i want communicate in my books uh the heart of god the heart of Jesus for the lost um i want I want to convey um, Christian family and, you know, all of its complexities, uh, too. And it's, um, you know, I think it's so important that we um, be Christians who are humble, um, meek and gentle, like Jesus, and and him being, you know, gentle and lowly doesn't undo him being King Jesus. That's right. He's sovereign you know, uh, the ruler who coiled the whip and drove the money changers out of his father's house and said, you've made my house, my father's house a den of thieves. He got worked up righteous indignation. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've had a conversation with someone sometime and they said, but it never says that he actually struck them with the whip. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, they missed the I'm, whole point, don't <laughs> they? I think, yeah, I don't think we need to quibble any, any here. You know, um, Every indication is that he wove he the whip for a reason and uh, that every lash was deserved perfectly, justly. Because God isn't, Jesus is not, doesn't just have justice and, and isn't just really good at justice. He is justice. It's just like he doesn't have love f- for his children, um, you know, and he's just really a good lover. He is love. These, these, these things are who God is. And um, I think that makes a difference. Uh, it should make a difference in how, in, in the depth of my gratitude for the grace I've received. And I grew up, you know, I grew up uh, in a Christian home, a godly Christian home, loving, godly parents. Um, oh, I'll talk about that another time. If you want to know some sources for Sandy McKeith, it's my dad. I balled my way through Rebels Keep um, knowing what was going to happen to Sandy. Sorry about the spoiler here, but knowing what was going to happen to Sandy McKeith, man, I'm sorry, um, because my dad was going through uh, chemotherapy for uh, AML leukemia right while I was writing those pages. And uh, um, anyway, so, you know, I want, in the midst of all of that, I didn't have to go, thanks be to God, I didn't have to go into the far country, that doesn't mean I was a sinless teenager by any means, but God preserved me, restrained me, he um, hemmed me in behind and before, as Isaiah puts it, and that was him placing his gracious hand on me, it wasn't him keeping me from fun stuff, bummer, oh, if I could only live my teen years again and, and grovel. With the pigs in the far country wouldn't that be cool No, oh no, no it it would it would not be cool but having said that i want to be the most sympathetic person to that person that somehow in the providence of god did go through the far country did go through a, a season maybe a long season of rebellion and um and you know it should it's it should be up to me and to those of us that by the grace of god will preserve from that to be the most gracious the most loving expansive warm and tender to them
1: amen amen doug i appreciate you being on with us and giving us of your time and i'll give i'll get back in touch with you people have, are saying already in the chat great guest information um, they're edified by what you said, and praise God, that's what we want to do. We want to build them up in the faith, we want to point them to our Father, we want to always encourage them in that, because a lot of people get discouraged. Uh, I, I can tell you, I'm one of those, and the people know it, I'm one of those that was a prodigal. Uh, my father's a pastor, um, taught me, you know, as best he could, was faithful in doing those things. Uh, he, was, he wasn't even Reformed, he's a Southern Baptist. Uh, but he was faithful in doing those things, and um, you know, I was just rebellious. I, I, there's no other way to say it. And I, I, to my great shame, these were parents who adopted me. they couldn't have children, they made me their heir. They gave me their They gave me their name. Yeah. And they loved me like I yeah. came from their own bodies. And yeah. to my shame, I treated them like they were nothing and lived my life. And now I see their goodness. I see what God was doing in them and how that impacted my life later on. I'm grateful to God because he used them as the means of his mercy and his grace by giving me the gospel all throughout my younger years. Had they not done that, the seeds would have never been planted. What would the Holy Spirit have used to to, to draw me to himself? He would have had nothing. So I, I'm I'm right there with you. If you'll hang on a little bit, uh I'll after I close out the show, I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, be sure to check out uh Douglas's uh webpage, bondbooks.net. Bondbooks. .net, and you can get them there. Uh, I think you can get them at Amazon. He's got an Amazon page, so you can pick up all those there wherever you want to shop. It's fine with me. I'm not in any particular thing there. And I'm not really here to sell, sell books. But if you've got kids and you do homeschooling, I'd highly recommend them. When he's talking about Sandy McKeith, he's talking about the dad from this series, okay? And uh, you're talking about You Wept. I, I think I told you last or the other night when we talked on the phone, I we got to the last chapter of the last book. And here's dad sitting at the table uh, trying to read it to the kids. And I can't get a word out because my heart's just broken over the story. It's It's a fictitious story. Um, Based on historical real events and stuff But my heart's just broken Because you you kind of come to love these characters That are being played out And uh, I'd highly recommend you get these And read them Read them with your kids And then talk about the history It's a wonderful uh, way to do that Kids love stories This is a great way to bring a historical reality uh, Through a historical narrative Now catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern 2 p.m. Central SonsofLibertyMedia.com And then we'll be back in the morning 8 a.m. tomorrow, we're going to, as normal, we're going to have Kate Shimarani. I've got to go through this book tonight. (laughs) Martine Warman. Now, if you've got friends that uh, still believe in abortion up to a certain time, or this, that, and the other, you probably want to tune in for this lady. I've read enough to know she had her baby prematurely, born at 24 weeks, Okay, and kept her baby, fought for her baby, and many people have done this. This is not like it's a, an obscure kind of thing. You want to hear that 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 testimony of this lady. I don't know that she's a Christian, but what she has to say about life and what she sees and what she experienced in that, very important in the society today that is a society of death that wants to murder its own children. Uh, I don't see anything different in the abortion as what the Old Testament people were doing with rendering their children up to Moloch. I mean, they were taking living babies outside the womb and doing that stuff. So if they needed to repent, if God called them to repentance, we need that. I think it'll be a good show. Tune in, and uh, Lord willing,
0: we'll have that in the morning, 8 a.m. with Kate Shimrani. See you then.